Hello and welcome to Let's Be Honest with Just Jonda. I'm your host, Just Jonda, and thank you once again for hanging with me. I'm hoping that moving forward, you won't always be hearing my breaking news uh, sound. I really just use it because I think it's so cool. But my sound engineer is on the mend, and so he tells me he is ready to get back to putting my little funky dance music <laughs> on in the beginning. But also, it's it's been appropriate for what I've been reporting on because it's been tons of election news, except for last night when you got the break with me and the girls, and that is definitely for those of you who haven't heard it it's one that you probably need to turn down in your offices or put in some headphones and you may not want to listen to it in the car with your kids it's not terribly explicit in terms of the subject matter although it gets a little racy it's more so the language because well there was a bit of wine involved and You'll listen and hopefully have a good time with us. If nothing else, it was, we laughed so much. And I hope that within those laughs, you'll find a moment to laugh too, because we all need it. So let's get down to business. What are we talking about today? Well, today's topic, I'm going to call, well, today's title, I'm going to call it the never ending story 2.0. Unfortunately, there's not gonna be a little boy riding on a weird animal in this. It would probably be so much better than what's really going on, but that's not the never ending story that I'm gonna start with. You know the never ending story I'm gonna start with, the one 2.0. It is election 2020, of course. So the big news today, and again, nothing unexpected, but of course, with the courthouses opening and today actually being a work day, you were going to get a lot more of it. President Trump and just members of his team and, and, the GO and various members of the GOP who have been unleashed on the talk show circuit are challenging the results in elections um, in most states. I mean, really... The results of the election in most states, particularly the ones that he lost in, and especially the ones that were considered the close states up until the end where state after state, with the exception of North Carolina, were being declared for President Trump. And really, in looking at the numbers, which I'll get into shortly, other than Nevada, I'm sorry, not Nevada, other than Arizona, which was claimed for him initially, uh, claimed for Biden, I'm sorry, initially and then pulled back by pretty much all the news agencies, except for Fox News, which held steady that they were declaring or projecting Biden as the winner of Nevada. Um, all of those states remain consistent with what was expected to happen once those votes, the mail-in ballots and some of the early voting ballots, because depending on which state 
we're talking about, they all had different procedures for when, particularly as it relates to the early ballots, would be um, would be counted. For most states, mail-in ballots, ballots also known as absentee ballots, uh, that's the way they were traditionally known because most people used them, were actually absent from the state, military people, college students, expats, etc. It's not unusual for those to be counted the day after, and in some instances, days after because of you know, where they're stored or when they bring them in. And although they're always counted, in a lot of instances, unless it comes down to something tight like Florida back in uh, the Gore-Bush race or, um, or some, of these, uh, some of these situations here that we're going to talk about, a lot of times they're not determinative. Sometimes, you know, once they look at where a candidate is, like let's say a candidate is up by 20, 30, 40, even 100,000, and they know that they've only got a, a batch with 5,000 um, mail-in votes, or again, as I've typically known them to be, um, the absentee votes, if there's only 5,000 of them and either candidate is up, you know, anything over 5,000, uh, but again, like at least twice that amount or three times that amount, it's they know it's not going to be determinative and the election is still declared or at least projected. But of course, one man, one vote, the votes are counted and if you want to look months later to see what the actual final numbers are, they are there for you. Of course, in a situation like this, where it wasn't just about voting because you are actually absentee, but mail-in voting due to the world we are living in right now as it relates to COVID-19 and of course, individuals being encouraged to not be standing in long lines and waiting until election day, then obviously those issues are much more determinative and what those rules are in those individual states, which are always there, but just typically not a big issue, are now being challenged because some of those rules were just not made for instances like this, it's it's. I don't even want to use the unprecedented unprecedented word. So that'll be the last time <laughs> you hear me say it because, <clears throat> excuse me, it's so annoying hearing it said over and over. But we are living in a different time, and uh, for many different reasons. But one of the big ones, not wanting to catch a disease that is the reason we are living in a global pandemic. People voted early and um, it, it just sent some areas into chaos. And then some areas weren't necessarily chaotic. It is that individuals with their own agenda wanted to project an air of chaos. Like, for instance, in Detroit, where they made an issue of the fact 
that they covered the glass windows. Well, there are individuals who were in those rooms that said absolutely there were Democrat and Republican observers in those rooms all day long, not just when the counting took place, but even during the voting when there's poll watchers. That type of thing had been going on all day long. The panels were put up because there were so many individuals, so many reporters, and not just the reporters, because of course, now that we're living in the era of the cell phone, everybody thinks they're reporters. So even if the news people knew, as they should, because this is not new stuff for them, that you don't film those individuals. These are regular folks, volunteers who are counting. And certainly, especially given what's going on now, it is literally an issue of safety as it relates to knowing specifically who those people are and having their pictures or their images just flashed all over everybody's television, computer, and phone screens. So they should know better. But unfortunately, you can't depend on the average Joe Schmo who wants to get this information for posterity, troublemaking, putting online, whatever. And so I don't have an issue with them putting up barriers to everybody and their mother looking in and particularly and potentially filming as long as there is proof that there were individuals in the room that were allowed from both sides that were allowed to watch and right now there are individuals who say that there were of course there are gop operatives who claim that there were not and that that's just going to be a matter of dueling witnesses and an issue of credibility and i guess it unless the courts continue to throw these cases out that's just going to be something for the trier of fact also known as a judge to decide so the elections, as I said, definitely challenges in Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Nevada, and Arizona. Uh, it, um, and we knew that. The allegations in Pennsylvania uh, range from everything from procedures about how and when the votes were counted, which I talked about a bit ago, to whether the votes were legal. You know, those thriller votes we've been talking about for the past couple of days. Like, are they the cool thriller zombies or are they the Walking Dead zombies? You already know we are all about the thriller zombies over here. And the same thing, not allowing the observers from the GOP or as Rudy Giuliani talked about, uh, I want to, well, whatever day he did that foaming at the mouth press conference, he talked about the fact that even when observers were allowed in there because they had to come off the lie that they weren't, he made it sound like they were pushed back like, you know, 200 feet and had to practically use binoculars. Michigan specifically pointing to Detroit. And obviously they're going to point to Detroit because Detroit is what sent the Michigan numbers over the top. And when I tell you what the Michigan numbers are, you're going to be like, okay, come on people. So they're alleging that voters were specifically being told or steered towards voting for Biden, that people working there were like poll workers were wearing Biden t-shirts, that they were backdating the receipt date of ballots, 
of the blacking out of windows, which I mentioned to you earlier. And they were also alleging, uh, and they're, they're just claiming that they have over a hundred affidavits that go to this effect. Now let's talk about generally where we are with the current results. Current results, because there is still counting in some places, so it's kind of hard to tell who was stopped and who's continuing. Based on a few of these numbers, um, I think most of them are still continuing to count. North Carolina, that number looks like the same number I've given you the past couple of days. So I think that that is over. I don't know why they won't just declare it with a lead that wide, but whatever. I'm going to declare it and project that as a Trump win. We knew that going in. It was cool to see the numbers coming down, but I, I don't think that many of us really uh put it, it put our money on the fact that North Carolina was going to flip. It's going to come close. It was going to make a strong statement about at least potentially taking a, a dip into the purple pool in elections moving forward. And it definitely bodes well for operatives on the ground there, particularly uh, dem democratic operatives who can at least show the individuals in North Carolina that them coming out really did make a difference in terms of how these numbers look and how close they came to flipping the state. Now, of course, that is a sword that hits both ways because it gives very strong ammunition to GOP operatives to really reinforce to their people, we can't let this crap happen again. We cannot let these folks get this close because 75,000 in a state as big as North Carolina with as many voters as they have is close. It may not sound close if you are in Rhode Island, but that's close as hell when you are in North Carolina. And don't get it twisted. The GOP was definitely nervous and they should remain nervous uh, as we move towards potential midterms and then four years from now. Because again, it, it is a sword that co cuts both ways, but it is very incentivizing for people who may have thought that in a state like North Carolina, their vote wouldn't count because these numbers show that it, it they are making some moves. And given the heavy populated areas, heavily populated areas near the resort, uh, Research Triangle, um, Charlotte, Mecklenburg, Durham, and, and those places, Again, if they look at other states, they also see that those heavily populated urban areas bring in the numbers. They may not have brought them in to for the win the way that Pennsylvania and Georgia appears to be doing. And um, of course, what happened in Michigan, but it is 
possible. It is winnable. So uh, North Carolina is going to be a state to watch. Well, Georgia is too, which is why I was on the tip of my tongue, but I haven't gotten there yet. North Carolina is definitely going to be a state to watch. And another reason is a state to watch as it relates to these numbers and that sword cutting both ways is because North Carolina is always, always uh, politically in the news for shenanigans as it relates to how their district lines are drawn it is if there are if there are five states that are in the news when it comes down to district lines being drawn you can bet your bottom dollar that one of them is north carolina hell if there's three states that are in the news about some drama about the way that their district lines are being drawn North Carolina is in that three. Now, there's going to be a lot of stuff, to say the least, that is going to go on with the drawing of district lines coming up. And that is going to be something that I'm going to, I'm not going to be able to take a lot of time to talk about that tonight because I got a lot to get to. But that is definitely going to be something that we're going to talk about very in depth here and uh in one episode i'm not gonna drive you crazy with it and i will probably bring on someone who um can really explain it very well especially and, and the reason why this is so important and something something you should always pay attention to but something that you need to be paying attention to now and i know you're bombarded with stuff we've got the uh we've got the covid situation we've got the economy at least for the next two and a half months we are going to have uh you know i i don't even know what else to call it other than mr toad's wild ride coming out of the white house with between the election results fighting the election results then at some point the inevitable acceptance of the election results and the fallout from that. I mean, the tweets alone, I could do an entire episode on just the tweets from the past, I would say three hours. You want to talk about wilding out. I, again, as I have said for the past several days, and I am unwavering in that, I would literally pay money to be a fly on the wall for to just watch the shenanigans going on in the White House. So anyway, we have Arizona at 15,000 ahead for Joe Biden. And as you see, that is a tremendous drop from the numbers where, you know, where he started ahead, but at the moment still ahead. So and that hasn't changed anybody calling it for Biden. But again, uh, as I've said, it was definitely a state that for everybody other than Fox remained in flux. Georgia, 11,413 ahead for Biden. That is a lot considering how tremendous the Trump lead was in Georgia before, um, well, pretty much, by the end of as, as even as late as maybe Wednesday afternoon, but once it began to flip, even though it was sort of slow and steady wins the race, it was a lot. And really, it wasn't even slow and steady. The overage has been slow and steady, but that flip from like over a hundred thousand to uh in favor of Trump to 
at least getting to the point where they were about, you know, where it was clear that it was starting to flip when it, Biden was like maybe a thousand ahead. That actually happened uh, fairly quickly and very steadily. Um, it was just stunning to watch. Michigan, the state that they seem to be fighting so hard, but of course, when you got all black people there, obviously we couldn't possibly do anything right as far as certain people are concerned. Biden's number is hugely ahead, uh, beyond what I even expected when I pulled the number, 146,000 and some change ahead. Uh, so talk about, wow. North Carolina, we've already discussed for Trump, they need to declare it and just remove it from the list. Nevada jumped, as President Trump would say, bigly. Uh, Nevada is 36,186 ahead for Biden. And Pennsylvania, again, uh, slow and steady, but still climbing, 45,336 ahead for Biden. And I do know they're still counting. I think that the projections that were made are going to probably be fairly accurate. Um, some of them. Uh, I don't know, but then again, I don't. I didn't have an opportunity to check how many they have left to count. But the estimate is that when all is said and done in Pennsylvania, the expectation is that Trump will probably be ahead. I'm sorry, that uh, Biden will probably end up winning that state at around uh, 70 to 80,000. Again, I don't know if it's going to go that high, but of course, as with anything uh, in this race, it all depends on how many votes they have left to count. And I do know for sure they're still counting. I just don't know how many are left. Now, as it relates to, we're going to move into what happens next, because that's really what we should be talking about. I mean, I've been on for 20 minutes and, and still talking about the election itself when there has been a winner declared whether half of the country wants to accept it or not and moving forward. So in closing out what's going on on the Trump side of things, there has, uh, he's still not conceding. Now there are some GOP leadership uh, who has come out and said he needs to concede if for no other reason to move people forward, get folks out of the streets and moving towards some level of acceptance because despite what GOP pundits want to say about the way that Democrats acted when Trump won, did we like it? No, but I can tell you that there was not, when did you see folks marching in the street? There wasn't. There was a women's march on the day of the inauguration, and then that was pretty much it. Yes, there were investigations. Those investigations started before the election. Let's not pretend that there was not an investigation into the Russian invasion, if you will, into our election process. We knew that before the election because of the release of the emails and all of that other crap. We knew that. 
And quite frankly, the GOP was all for it because most of it was making uh, was making the opponent look bad. So let's not pretend that that was not something that went on before the election and that there would have been investigations into that as well there should have been because you have foreign entities that are attempting to interfere in our most sacred of institutions or what should be our most sacred of institutions, that was going to happen anyway. Now, the question of whether or not there was Trump involvement, again, still, in my opinion, something that was going to happen no matter who was president because the reality of the situation was that during the course of the uh, um, the campaign, as we know, it's been proven that if not President Trump himself, individuals not just related to the party, related to his ass personally, his son, his son-in-law did meet with individuals in Russia, individuals who were considered Russian operatives. Now, whether or not they had specific involvement into this issue, this whole thing about collusion, that is a question for the trier of fact, and it is something that is going to probably go down in the annals of history that people are, those who support him will say he didn't do it and those who don't will say that he did. But no matter how you feel about it, if you can't admit that is at least fishy, then you're full of shit. Because you can support someone and admit that their behavior may have been a little fishy and a little concerning without saying that they actually did it. Even if you simply say, I would not have put myself in that situation. Hell, I've had that conversation with many a client before going into court to argue their innocence. There are situations or a situation that you put yourself in that if it were me, I probably wouldn't have put myself in because that is why you're sitting in front of me right now. Does that mean that you took the next step? to committing whatever crime we are discussing on this particular day? Not necessarily, but you put yourself in a situation that didn't freaking help when you got accused of one. And that just is what it is. So to, you know, now I say that even before he did, but okay. So as it relates to moving forward, which we are not, the transition, and of course we've talked about that. No, there hasn't been all kinds of wacky things. Nobody is pulling out swords and dueling at dawn or sunset, but there is a bit of a holdup. Now, good on the new team that they are not allowing the holdup to stop them from moving forward, but it's still just, it's, it's shady. So right now, President Trump's appointee as head of the General Services Administration, she's the administrator and a member of the 53%. And if you don't know who that, who the 53% are, listen to another episode. 
she is uh there is crucial documents that the crucial document that she needs to sign off on in order for the transition process to begin because she essentially is the person who signs off on the fact that uh Biden has won the election. So just quick and dirty, I will uh, give you just the quick and dirty of what this all means. Now, there is a letter of release. It basically releases funds to Biden for his transition team to go through a process that's called ascertainment. Now, that is the first formal acknowledgement, and, and I have this article from CNN's great, great article. It's uh, the first formal acknowledgement that, you know, Biden is president and that he, in fact, won the election. It also, even more importantly, unlocks access to national security tools so that they can begin to streamline background checks, additional funds to pay for training, incoming staff. And we know that this takes hundreds of people. It's not like five or six people running running this operation. Again, it's not like an episode of Veep. That's why they're in these big old buildings, okay? So this is something that is supposed to take place relatively quickly because again it takes a lot of people we're talking about full staffs we're not just talking about people at the top and folks that would need to be hired perhaps leave other jobs that they have all of those types of things so before the election and so that may be helping uh, the team in this regard, because before the election, when you reach the point, you are your nominee, you are your, um, your party's nominee. And so we know that there is going to come a point where there is at least one of you that is going to be, uh, is going to be the president. There is, there was 9.62 million. So isn't it interesting because we don't know about a lot of this stuff. There's 9.62 million that was allocated to the Biden transition team for pre-election services. So the team is continuing to receive that, which of course is, is helpful because they need to move forward. Now, once there is a winner, then that would trigger the release of an additional 9.9 .9 million. So basically an additional $10 million in funds for post-election services, which includes 6.3 million for the incoming administration, 1 million for appointee orientation and training, and 2.6 million for outgoing services, which of course is really gets into the transition between the people who are actually involved in the in the offices. So this is important stuff. It may sound like a lot of money and you're like, oh, well, why? first of all, why did they give them that money in the first place? And why, you know, on the front end and why is that enough on the back end? But for anybody who has, who runs a business or who has ever run, to, and run an office, you know that this kind of stuff and this money you go through very quickly. I mean, we're talking about everything from soup to nuts, like everything from setting up your office. In fact, this money, it even goes towards securing offices that you all will use to begin to work before 
you actually go into uh, the West Wing. And remember, part of this peaceful and orderly transition of power is the fact that the transition just doesn't happen on January 21st. If it did, we'd be in a hot mess for about three months with nobody knowing what the freak is going on. Now, right, right now, because of the nature of what's going on, we are seeing a lot more of it in real time. Like for instance, President-elect President -elect Biden's conference today about the individuals that he has appointed for his COVID task force. Now, I suspect something like that we uh, we would have seen, he would have done no matter what, because COVID is such a huge, huge thing right now. And there is something to be said for people feeling a, a better sense of calm if there is transparency, at least as it relates to that being the priority that he has said consistently that it would be. So I get that. But a lot of this stuff behind the scenes, even those of us who, you know, have made this a part of our lives at some point or for entire careers, can pretty safely say we don't get into the minutia of who got $9.9 .9 million and when. It is understood that these things cost money. And again, if you've ever run a business, you know that it costs a lot more money than what you see on the surface. Even obtaining office space and doing temporary and doing temporary leases and then outfitting those office spaces and all of that to even get folks to the point where they could sit down at a desk and pick up a phone and have internet services is going to run in the hundreds of thousands of dollars especially since these are temporary leases. And then you actually have to pay people. You have to pay them. You have to insure them. And a lot of these, uh, not everybody is at the bottom of the secretarial pool. A lot of these individuals are people, uh, especially uh, the higher end people or even your middle management in people. These are individuals who are at least a good portion of them who are going to be making upwards of seventy or eighty thousand dollars a year, and not again because money of money is being wasted, but because of the nature of their job description, because they are department heads who are going to be brought in so that they can start appointing their department heads, and of course it goes on down the line. So if if you think that is not expensive, then again bullshit because it is now that's where we are with that uh, it, it kind of sucks i'm gonna get to i'm gonna circle back there to the trump administration shortly when we get into covid now again in the moving forward uh as I mentioned, President-elect Biden did hold a press conference today where he talked about, mainly focused on uh, the fact that he, as part of his transition, first priority of his transition, is to appoint a COVID task force. Some of the individuals on the, on the team are not really surprising based on who he was speaking to leading up to this point. 
and he definitely wanted to clearly based on the individuals on the task force. I can't remember if it's 13 or 16, but it's one of those. The individuals are definitely, you know, pretty um, learned people, shall we say, in uh, the fields of medicine, vaccines, pandemics, and the like. So the three co-chairs are Marcella Nunez-Smith. She's a Yale physician and researcher. Uh, we also have Varick Murphy, the former U.S. Surgeon General. I believe he was Surgeon General um, under Obama, maybe. And David Kessler, who was the former FDA commissioner. And so you say, well, FDA, well, you obviously need someone on your team who deals with the approval process so that they can keep a keen eye on what is going on with any potential vaccines. Now, one thing he did announce is whenever these vaccines are available, they will be free. So that is a very interesting announcement, especially as it relates to the pharmaceutical industry. I'm going to be very interesting, interested to see what that does to their stock, even for the ones who are winning the race with coming up with vaccines, because we know that they are in this to make money. But if the government says it's free, obviously the government has to pay you. So it'll be interesting to see whether or not they will try it or, well, they're going to try, but how hard they will try in the fleecing of the government for the cost uh, of these vaccines. Uh, now, amid the announcement about about vaccines or amid the the whole COVID discussion today, shall I say, uh, President Trump did discuss the fact that there has been a major development. There is a vaccine potentially coming from Pfizer to prevent the coronavirus or COVID-19. This is, um, and, and that is a tremendous announcement. Now, this vaccine, of course, is still working its way through the channels. And obviously we already know that everything is going to be fast tracked right now. I have not heard very much. I look forward to speaking with my sources as the week goes on. Um, I have not heard very much about what the trial period is going to be. And of course they, you know, of course they talked about the dosages and when could they get even as, as many as 50 million doses. And I believe they said that could still take, um, I think they said the end of the year, which is pretty quick. So that's why I'm not sure if I heard that correctly, unless they meant the end of next year, like 2021. So we'll, we'll come back to that. But apparently this is supposed to be 90% effective as it relates to prevention. So it's going to be interesting to hear more about that because I am certainly interested in how that was tested in, in the trials as it relates to finding out in terms of them determining that 90% prevention rate with ages, um, the cross-section of people, men to women, children, adults, you know, all of those things, people who have pre-existing conditions. It is definitely going to be interesting to watch and hear about the developments 
And of course, because your president can't just accept a sunny day with manna from heaven with $100 bills attached to it for dessert, he still has to find a way to turn a positive into a not exactly negative, but not exactly positive either. Because who is it all about? It's all about me, 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 me. And in this episode of It's All About Me is that he is tweeted, and there's been a number of tweets about the Pfizer announcement, like, okay, rah, rah, shish, boom, bah, as it relates to Pfizer, I can't take that away from you. However, you could have announced it five days ago, and apparently Pfizer is in some not-so-secret conspiracy, maybe, with the Democratic Party to hold what would be considered a win for President Trump. Not a win for Pfizer or Pfizer stockholders or a win for the American people if we don't want to go the cynical stock and stockholders route. Not a win for the scientists, but a win for him. And and I mean, I guess it would be for those individuals who view these things as wins for him, especially in light of the statement he made at the debate about having a cure within a few weeks, which I'll, I'll give him that. So as far as he's concerned, this is something that was probably known because, you know, it's only been about five days or whatever, and that this is something that should have and could have been said before the election. And somehow the Democrats kept this from coming out because this win for him as it relates to the Pfizer announcement could have potentially affected the election. Where do I stand on that? I still think the people who were going to vote for him were going to vote for him and the people who were not going to vote for him were not going to vote for him. I don't, it certainly as it relates to at least one very vocal and strong segment of the population who clearly swayed this election in several states. This wasn't about Corona. This was about whether or not you vote for a president that you felt was a racist, or at least has racist-like tendencies. Maybe calling him a racist is too strong. Maybe I'll be more gentle and say he's soft on racism. He's open to it. He didn't say, I love you, proud boys. He just told you to stand by in case he needs you. So I I don't know if it would have made the difference that he thinks that it does for those whose convictions would not allow them to vote for him no matter what, especially when that is one of their main issues. So, you know, 
and and we'll see. And and the reality of it is, is that even for his folks, it's really interesting with where this COVID thing gets pulled in whenever you need it. Because if we're really gonna, let's really get funky with it, President Trump and your Trumpies, or as this one woman I saw online calls herself, so I'm assuming is a thing, the Trumpublicans, uh, you all don't believe that COVID is contagious, deadly, or problematic. No masks, parties, hanging out. You allegedly had it and magically cured like, you know, the leprechaun came and gave you a pot of gold filled full of steroids. So who exactly was this going to mobilize if this quote win unquote was announced for you? You've already told your people that, or at least indicated in some way to your people that COVID wasn't a big deal. It's no more than a cold. And for the people who've died, it is what it is. Something was probably wrong with them anyway. So, you know, I mean, I guess talking out of both sides of his neck has never been something he shied away from, but I just thought I'd point that out. And finally, in news of the day, I believe I mentioned if I didn't yesterday, because obviously the show went in a hugely different direction, it was announced yesterday uh, that, or maybe Saturday, that Mark Meadows, President Trump's chief of staff, has COVID. Well, today it was announced that probably the only actual doctor in the room, but interestingly enough, not on the COVID task force, uh, Dr. Ben Carson, who is head of HUD, again, we could go down a whole rabbit hole on that, that he has tested positive for COVID. Like the rest of these individuals, or at least some of them, he is older. I would assume that Dr. Carson is probably, uh, if he's not in his early 70s yet, definitely late 60s. I mean, he's he's been around the block a little bit. So, of course, it's always concerning when someone that age gets it. But what made the announcement even more bizarre is that allegedly it's assumed that he probably came into contact with it at an election party at the White House. So I'm trying to figure out when was there an election party and why the hell would there be an election party? For what? And I'm not even talking about win or, lo win or losing because, you know, you don't just test positive typically the next day, at least from my understanding. So this would have been sometime last week. And at that point, nobody should have been celebrating anything in whatever fashion, whether it was Trump or Biden. I mean, unless, you know, they went with where things stood on election night or maybe even Wednesday night because of uh, North Carolina and Pennsylvania. But it's all very, very strange. But all I, I'll have to say to that, and this is, you know, this is where I'm going to get off because, again, this is nonstop November. And although I have been maintaining at least starting the podcast 
be on the same day. I've been running over into the next day, but this is technically day nine. Um, even though when it's posted, it's going to be day 10 because it's 12, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So I'm going to go with Pacific Time on this. It's still November 9th. So at any rate, um, and I'm an insomniac, so I'm going to be up for the next several hours anyway. So um, Dr. Uh, oh, as it's so at any rate, I will simply say this. If I were working at the White House, I would suggest that someone get a power washer, fill it with bleach and holy water, and spray the entire thing down inside and out, Lincoln bedroom portraits, I don't care. And then drape it with a tent like a giant roach motel. Now, everybody will be gone first. I'm not suggesting you kill anyone. That would be terrible, not a murderer. But I would like to murder the COVID at least. So it just seems to me that there is a, a demon of COVID running amok in that joint. And just whatever the ordinary measures are, aren't working. Quarantine is not working. And for God's sakes, hashtag save Baron Trump. I mean, it's just nutty. I also think it would be pretty freaking cool to see the White House draped with a tent, but instead one of those really cool giant red and white striped circus tents, and it'll have like steeples on each end. And okay, I'm 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 getting too excited. I mean, there'd be balloons and all that, and it's already fenced in because they're worried about riots that he is attempting to incite okay oh and then a quick one another quick one i'm sorry i forgot to mention this um the white house press secretary was cut by fox i did see and it's funny because i watched the press conference but i guess i was watching it on cnn when I think it was one of the legal advisors, some woman, I can't remember her name. She was talking about the various suits that were being filed. And then the press secretary came up at the end to uh, field additional questions. But unfortunately, she began to go into the hinky territory and specifically said, now we're talking about Kaylee McEnany. Um, once again, not wearing a mask, despite the fact that this child, this woman has a newborn child and just had COVID, but whatever. She said, she alleged that Democrats were welcoming fraud and illegal voting. And so Fox cut her off for the, um, basically for saying things that were, um, potentially fraudulent or untrue. And as we know, um, Twitter has been tagging President Trump and Breibart and several others because Breibart is like basically the only news agency that he has been um, that he's been retweeting because, of course, they're the ones running all these stories. So that was like, wow. I mean, I gather from the books that I've read that Rupert Murdoch is not a fan, but damn. Between the election and that, I'm, I'm wondering how the next three months is going to work out with his relationship with Fox. I know that there was a bit of a fallout between him and Fox and friends, but it's my understanding that 
his love affair with Sean Hannity and to a certain degree, Tucker Carlson, Tucker Carlson is still continuing. Sean Hannity more so than anyone. So we'll see. Other than that, I will check in with you all tomorrow. I will have some, uh, you know, some interesting news on the TV cancellations. We'll also be getting geared up for Wednesday's premiere of The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. I am super uh, excited about that because I've got several folks that are going to watch that with me. And I'm thinking we may even watch that live on the air because there is just so much to unpack there. Or either we're going to watch it together on, well, I'll probably do a Facebook party on the Fashion and Drama Diaries, uh, and you'll see the link for that to join that in the box. We have a lot of fun on that page, get lots of gossip, lots of interesting stuff, and then come on the air immediately after, because I don't know how much they are going to reveal in that first episode, but there has been enough pre-show dish that we should have a fair amount of juiciness to unpack and kind of give our projections for how the season is going to go. Because in the first episode, Bravo usually does give us an extended preview. So Lots of fun ahead on the page. Again, if you want to break from the politics, check out episode, uh, episode number 31, Shady Sunday. And I'm just very happy that you are continuing on this journey with me and putting up with my obsession with politics. Other than that, I shall say, if you follow me on Apple iTunes, please go there and leave me five stars and comments. As always, make sure you go to my Twitter and Instagram at Let's Be Honest, JJ, that's L-E-T-S-H-O-N-E-S-T, JJ for Just Jonda. And feel free to like, comment there, go into my DMs and let me know what you'd like to talk about. Because as always... If you're thinking about it and want to talk about it, chances are I'm thinking about it and want to talk about it too. So let's be honest together. Good night.